All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Thanksgiving episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Painted Horse Haskin, and that will, reason I said that will make sense later. And if you've ever listened to their show, the guys in the Deep Purple podcast do a really cool intros to every show, so I had to throw one in there for myself. Uh, wow, it is Thanksgiving 2019. We're heading closer to 2020. Not much time left now. Of course, everybody's uh, getting fat today and then starting the hustle bustle of uh, Christmas shopping tomorrow if you haven't already done that. Uh, I don't know what they do in other countries, what their time is, uh, because ours tends to to work around Thanksgiving. I know in Canada, their Thanksgiving is in October. It's done a little bit differently than ours because it's not about what ours started as, which is really kind of a horrible thing to be celebrating. But we do it anyway. You know, like Christopher Columbus Day. Guy was an absolute asshole. And yet, you know, he quote unquote, discovered America where there were already people there. So I don't know how you can discover something where people are already there. But anyway, uh, and we have a whole holiday about that banks are closed, like it's a really big deal here. So uh, we do the same thing for Thanksgiving, which again, is not based on a very good story. But here's what I like about it. I am a big gratitude person. I love it. I used to have a a gratitude journal that I really should start back on. But I would take, you know, like, let's say, uh, I don't know, a DVD player. And you look at the DVD player and you think, well, yeah, it's fun. I can play DVDs on it. I can watch movies. You know, I can listen to music or whatever. But then you start thinking about it a little more deeply. And you think about, well, somebody had to invent the technology to make a DVD player. And then somebody had to make the technology to make DVDs, which was really an expansion of the CD. Uh, So there's really that person to thank. And then you think about all the people that make the components, like the plastic and the transistors and the motherboards and all those things. And then you think about the people that make the power cord. And then you think about the people that made the wall socket and uh, made electricity possible in a home. And when you start thinking about everybody that had to be involved, so that you could watch DVDs on this DVD player, it really turns into from this cool little gadget to, wow, this is kind of a, an amazing piece of history right here because it took so many people to turn this into a thing. And if you start looking at all your stuff like that, it's really hard not to appreciate everything on just a massive level. And uh, when you think about everybody that had to work on some component or work together to make this thing possible for you to have and for it to serve whatever function that it does in your life. So I really need to get back to that because I, I really enjoyed it. And you know what? I mean, it made everything else so much lighter. Like, you know, the harder parts of a day, you're like, yeah, but you know what? I'm grateful for so many things. And, and here's why. And you start going back to that. And it makes difficult situations a lot easier to get through. And it's just a, a wonderful thing uh, to me anyway. So if that's something that uh, makes you happy, feel free to adopt it. And, you know, it's it's not just Thanksgiving. Like, we should be thankful all year long, every day, for what we have. There's always people that are so much less fortunate, yes. But there's also just the, just the idea that you have what you have. And it's not about you having more than somebody else or less than somebody else. Like, whatever you have in your life, whatever good things you have, whether it's a car or shelter or food or a recording studio or, or whatever it might be, Everybody has things to be grateful for. The fact that you're still breathing, the fact that you can think, the fact that you can see things and experience things and smell things, like every little thing down to our very core is something to be grateful for. So to me, that's how I try and look at Thanksgiving. Um, I tend to look more at like people than than I do. I don't know. That's not true because I think about people all the time. 
uh, I don't know. I just try to make it something special because it's a big celebration. I don't want to focus on the horrible, stupid things that the <laughs> the idea of the holiday was actually based on. So, you know, me, I'm always trying to turn negatives into positives. And that's just what I choose to do with this crazy little ho- holiday. But speaking of things to be grateful for, bar none, my biggest influence or hub of influence, as I should say, as we all know, is the band Deep Purple. They are the root of just about everything, you know, uh, that, that spurred from them, whether it be the Butterfly Ball album or the band Whitesnake, which wouldn't have been a thing had Deep Purple not discovered David Coverdale, who, Coverdale, he's going to like that, uh, David Coverdale, who had uh, just taken a risk one day and said, you know what, why the hell not, and sent an audition into one of the world's biggest bands because he heard that they were looking for unknowns. And, you know, it's it's really amazing when you start to think about all the little subtle things and any one decision could change anything. And we talk about this a little bit on the show, but I'll mention it now because this is something I'm incredibly grateful for. When Ian Gillen quit Deep Purple in in the mid 70s, he just kind of quit. You know, he wasn't going to go back to singing. And it wasn't until Ronnie James Dio wasn't able to attend the Butterfly Ball concert that Roger had written. Roger Glover, who is probably bar none my biggest influence as a, as a musician. Uh, but it wasn't until Roger reached out to Ian to sing one of Ronnie's songs in his absence that Ian was so well received. I mean, just a huge ovation for him walking out onto the stage that he decided that maybe it was a mistake to leave the business and he came back and now he's, you know, he's back with Deep Purple. They've been together in this lineup for. I'm not sure what year John left the band, but it's been quite a long time that Don Aries played keyboards. He's been the most recent addition. Steve Morse has been the guitar player for over 25 years, quarter of a century in that band. And, you know, it it all started with Roger inviting Ian Gillen to sing a song for Ronnie James Dio at the Butterfly Ball. So those are like the little things that I'm grateful for, like those just random little things that you just do to either solve a problem or because you think, well, this would be a good idea to do. And you don't think about the the huge changes that those things might make throughout the course of history by one simple little decision. Um, Just earlier today, I was actually listening to an interview with Roger Glover that I had never heard before. And uh, he was talking about, he was a, he started out as a guitar player and he was talking about how he really, really wanted to join a band. And so uh, he wasn't a very good guitar player. And he said that the band he wanted to join didn't have a bass player so he said, well, I'll just take off the first two strings of my guitar and I'll play bass. And uh, and then he you know, fell in love with being a bass player. And that moment right there, that one decision in time, changed everything. I mean, without that, Deep Purple wouldn't have been the same. There would have been no episode six. Uh, Rainbow may or may not have even existed. I mean, who knows? But that one split second decision just changed the course of history. And we do that in our lives all the time whether we think about it or not. And that was the basis of my album, uh, Twist of Fate, which I'll hopefully be releasing, re-releasing in the next, uh, I don't know, year or two. It's going to be a big project. So uh, I don't know when I'll have time to actually sit down and work on it. But uh, that's kind of the basic idea of that, of, of just taking like one simple decision. And if you'd have gone this way, what would have happened? If you went that way, what would have happened? And that kind of stuff just used to drive me nuts. So I wrote the album to get it out of my system and it worked which I'm also grateful for. 
So, uh, so yeah, so Deep Purple has been sort of the hub of, uh, of influence, and they started with all of their different things. Roger with skiffle music, John Lord with uh, Beethoven. Uh, Beethoven was also a very big influence on me, not just as a, as a classical music composer, but uh, just, just the way that he felt and moved music forward. And I love that. I mean, without him, there would have been, uh, at least at the time, there was no grand symphony. There was no symphony that had a choral section, which is what a grand symphony is. And he was the first composer to do that with the Ninth Symphony, which is probably uh, the most uh, famous, uh, one of the most famous pieces of his, but certainly the most famous symphony ever. And uh, it's just those little things that, that change the course of the world that you do out of just whatever reason. So I'm grateful for all those things. Definitely grateful to the members of Deep Purple. I've had the pleasure of meeting Roger Glover. I also had the pleasure of meeting Ian Gillen. Uh, that was very brief. Uh, nearly met Steve Morse, uh, but have not. I've met Graham Bonnet, who sang for Rainbow. All every Everybody that I've met has just been absolutely wonderful. And uh, I'm hoping to meet some more, of course. As time goes on, you never know who you'll run into in life, especially if you put yourself in the right position. So that's uh, that's always a good thing to do when you have the opportunity. So... I had always been, you know, like I've run out of interviews to listen to. I've heard them all. I've seen all the documentaries. I've listened to all the, you know, backstage uh, antics and all that. I, there's there's nothing left. And then I was searching for uh, Deep Purple interviews because there might have, you know, you, you check from time to time because there might be something new. And I came across the Deep Purple podcast and I was just so excited. I'm like, what is this? I had no idea. They were already a couple episodes in. I'd never heard of it. So, of course, I just eagerly jumped in. And uh, while I had my uh, what reservations at the time, because they were looking at things from an angle that I was not used to seeing things. I mean, I've been listening to these guys since I was a kid. I figure it was around 82 or so that Deep Purple came into my life uh, coming from a, being a fan of Rainbow. Then I found the, the lineage of Richie Blackmore and Roger Glover and became a fan of Deep Purple. And then they just took over the world for me. And... Uh, you kind of, you just get used to certain things. Like you used to, uh, well, this is just how the song was written or he played it because he played it. It doesn't matter why. And these guys were pointing out things that I just didn't, I don't know if it's, I didn't want to see them or I just ignored them because I've just been listening to this for so long since I was uh, not as knowledgeable as a composer, but they've really helped me see things in a different way. And uh, and I really appreciate that. I'm I'm experiencing all this music in a new light that I've been listening to for you know the majority of my life. So uh, let's see, I was born in 72. So I was like 10, around 10 when I discovered Deep Purple. And so it's been a, a long ride since then. And I'm still enjoying the music they put out, still enjoying their shows, had a great time seeing them at the House of Blues in September and hope to get to see them again before uh, before they're done. So uh, anyway, I had a great time talking to these guys. I really appreciate both of you for working with me through the scheduling issues. We're in three different time zones, so it was a little challenging for us to get together. But thank you very much for uh, helping put all that uh, together, guys, for hanging in there through the technical issues, because we did have some technical issues on the show with, uh, with Skype, and uh, they just at one point couldn't hear me. And uh, so, but we worked it out. So the, the show might be a little choppy in a couple of places where we had the technical issues, but overall it was a great conversation. I think we could have gone on for hours and I appreciate it very much. Also, before I bring on the interview, I want to throw a shout out to my friends, Brandon and Brendan at the levity show on Apple podcasts 
who invited me to be a guest on their show this past Saturday. And I had a great time talking to them. Their episodes are like an hour, hour and 20 minutes or so, kind of around where mine are. But we just kept talking and talking. It turned into a two hour plus episode. I think it was almost two hours and 20 minutes. And uh, definitely looking forward to uh, going back on their show at some point. They uh, This was episode six for them, which is ironic for the band that Roger and Ian Gillen were in. Uh, but uh, the magic number for podcasts is kind of seven episodes. It's like most people can get to seven episodes and then it just kind of fizzles out. So they're about to hit their seventh episode. I'll have a link in the show notes. Let's get them some love. Go listen to the show. It was a great, great conversation about so many things. They're both onstage comedians and Brandon uh, is also a uh, a composer and uh, uh, an artist as well. And uh, he's a really good guy. They're both really good guys. I just met Brandon yesterday and uh, went right before we did the recording and I had a lot of fun. So let's give them some love. Let's, let's show them some support. Let's show the Deep Purple podcast some support. Go to their page. Listen to some of the episodes. They're hilarious. They're really enjoyable. But their deep dive into these things is just so much more than I ever knew. And I kind of consider myself an expert on Deep Purple. But you know what? I'm not. And I can fully admit that there's so much that I never even learned about these guys. So thank you guys for bringing that to us. And without any further ado or any more of me rambling, except to say, check out all the links in the show notes for the Deep Purple podcast, for the Levity Show, for Movies Making a Difference, for the promo that I'm doing from Mental Sauna 3 Christmas Inflections, and for Chase McKenna's charities. Let's help them all out, including me. Have fun, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring on my special guests who have their own podcast, and I'm turning the tables on them and doing an interview on them instead of them talking about other people. And so I would like to uh, join with them in a conversation about my favorite band and one of theirs, Deep Purple, the hosts of the Deep Purple podcast, Nathan trying to burn the sun, Baudry, and John like a never-ending wheel, Matolo. What's going on, guys? <laughs> Hey, not much. We're good. I like that intro. Thank you. Sorry, I'm just in the deal mode after uh, listening to your podcast episode. Uh, today, I listened to the third episode in the Butterfly Ball uh, quadrilogy that you're doing. I, I, <laughs> I love this deep dive. I've learned so much from you guys, and I thought I knew a lot, but you guys are teaching me tons. I love it. Wow, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, we're we're learning a lot too. That's kind of why we got started on this 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 crazy endeavor about six or seven months ago. Well, I, I one of the things that fascinated me the most in this uh, in this episode of the Butterfly Ball, not today's episode, I think it was last week's, but uh, that there was a Judy Dench version of this album. I would <laughs> never in my mind fathom that. Yeah, that's something I uncovered literally weeks before recording that. Um, and just looking, I, I saw this, it looked exactly like the butterfly ball album, but it was like a white, whitish cover. And I said, well, what's that? I've never seen that version before. And I looked, I said, oh, narrated by Judy Dench. Well, how about that? <laughs> yeah, that's just, I, I, at some point I'm going to have to hear that, but I think it's going to have to be one of those things where I'm ready to expose my brain to that. <laughs> it's a lot. It is. But, but the butterfly ball has always been one of my favorite albums. And, and the fact that you guys have dedicated so much time to it, I really love and appreciate. I actually went back and listened to your first couple of episodes and you were joking around that the butterfly ball might take between five and 10 episodes of your podcast <laughs> to do. You were not far off. 
Yeah, thank, thankfully, we're a, l- a little bit a little bit more concise than that. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> if I remember right, I think I had the LP version uh, that I got sometime in probably the mid '80s. I want to say, uh, and then the uh, video cassette of the movie. And I remember uh, being quite disheartened by about half of the movie, and I loved the other half. John, uh, John have you had a chance to watch it now? Uh, just with Nate on the podcast and um, like uh, in real time, I guess uh, when we were doing the podcast uh, for the, for the next episode, which uh, that, that hasn't come out yet. Right, Nate? No. Yeah. That'll be out next week. Yeah. So we're kind of like in a weird time warp now. We're like probably four or five episodes ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I just watched it for the, the first time, like I think it was last week and uh, I can't say that my reaction was much different. No, like from, yours or Roger Glover's or anybody else's when we saw the movie. It was really out there. But the the concert footage was amazing. I would love to interview a couple of those actors and just see what they thought of that whole thing. I I can't imagine that they went out there going, oh, my God, everyone's going to love this. This is going to be a hit. Yeah, it's when I I remember when I was a kid and I'd play uh, video games with my cousin, she would like as she was like trying to like move her character around with like her Atari joystick, she would like crane her neck to like see like she'd look around the thing on the TV. And that's how I felt watching that movie. Like I wanted to look past the footage and see if I if I t- looked behind the TV, could I see the concert again <laughs> right, and yeah. not see these people in frog suits? Yeah, it, it was it was sad at best. I mean, I appreciate the effort, but if you're going to do it, do it right or or just don't. I would have been much happier with just the full concert and nothing else. Yeah, I would I would do anything for that that footage. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's it's got to be somewhere. I mean, they filmed they wouldn't have just filmed parts of the concert. It has to be in existence. It it absolutely has to exist in some in some way unless they destroyed it because they were kind of reckless about stuff like that back then, but <laughs> yeah, they, they really were. In fact, I I'm, I'm amazed that Roger was able to go back and do a lot of those 25th anniversary mixes off the original master tapes because who thought they would even be found let alone in any condition to be used. Yeah, they just like delete that or erase them and, and use them for, for the next uh, session that came in. Right. Or, or in Ian Gillen's case, he just destroys everything after it. it's not going to be released. <laughs> no, I don't even like to think about that. It's, it's painful. You know, though, there is a value, I think, at least for me in that, in that there was, a, I think it was the Shade 68 box set where there is a version, a portion of Fool's where they're uh, still writing the song and Gillen is kind of uh, just like vocalizing over it and trying out some words and phrasings and different things. And you really get an insight into the process of of writing that they had that you don't get if you only hear the final product. Yeah, that, that stuff's that stuff's great. And I, I, I as a somebody who's like a collector, I love to hear all that stuff. And I remember when that uh, Made in Japan three CD set came out. John, didn't you pick that up? Yeah. And you got to hear everything that was recorded for Made in Japan. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. We get to hear Richie Butcher smoke on the water for three <laughs> nights in a row in three different ways. Right. <laughs> well, what's what's interesting is I think you know I remember hearing an interview with Roger years ago where he said the first night we were up there like five puppets because we knew we were being recorded. And I think it shows when when you finally get to hear the difference between the three nights. I definitely think it gets better as it goes. Yeah, you 
you eventually, yeah, you eventually just get used to the fact that everything you're doing is being recorded. And especially after that first night, you you play every song once and you say, okay, worst case, we've got one version of every song. So now we can do whatever we want the next two nights and loosen up a little. Exactly. Yeah. Like you have your safety takes and then you're good to go. Yep. So you're looking at this through the eyes of people who enjoy music, but you're also both musicians. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So what did e- what did each of you play? Um, well, I play um, guitar mostly. Um, I can play a little bass, um, and um, I sing as well. So uh, that's my, was my primary functions. Like uh, back in the day when Nate and I used to record music together, so uh, we we dabble on a little bit of everything. So I did like those as my primary instruments. And how about you, Nate? Um, uh, guitar, uh, bass, uh, keyboards and drums and, you know, a little singing. We, we both, we, we recorded some, uh, we, we recorded a f- quite a few little different projects back together when we were in our, you know, teenage and early 20, well, early twenties. Yeah. Early twenties yeah. and teenage yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, you're going to have to release that so that someday somebody can do a podcast <laughs> on your music. <laughs> Oh, God help us. <laughs> you know, I, I, I owe you guys an apology because when, you're, when your show first came out and I, I saw it, I think you had uh, three episodes out when I found out that it existed. And I was really excited and I li- started listening to it. I'm like, God, you guys are so harsh. Why do you want to do a podcast on this band? You sounded like you didn't like them. But what I realized, the value of what you were saying was, is you made me look at this music with a completely different perspective. Now, I'm edging up towards 50, and I found Purple, I want to say in 82, I think was when Rainbow had their Live Between the Eyes video. And Mm. that was how I found Smoke on the Water, which was how I connected with Deep Purple. So I've been listening to this music and just accepting it as is (laughs) for so long. And then you guys are like, well, I don't know why Richie's playing that. That doesn't even make any sense. And I started thinking, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. Why is he playing that? <laughs> So I have to thank you for getting me out of that bubble and, and showing cool. me the songs from a different perspective. Yeah, that's that's really, I, I guess, like, I guess you could say that's that's our background as, in, as uh, musicians and as just loving music and the band so much. Like I like to think that that's our approach. Like even we were recording earlier today and you know, we're not even using like technical terms. We're just like, Hey, you hear that part where he's going you know, (laughs) on the bass. And it's just like, yeah, I love that. And it's, um, it's just, and, and some of the things we're like, it's the first time that I'm listening to a lot of this stuff, just sitting down and listening to it because a lot of times I'll listen to things while I'm around the house, you know, I'm in the car, on the way to work. So it's like I'm I'm always like doing something else, but we're like sitting here with headphones on listening to it and I'm picking up all sorts of different stuff that I never did before and some of it I haven't heard in uh, in quite a while because it's not part of my regular rotation. So it's like um, you know, that really we get to revisit it or, you know, in my case here a couple of things I've never heard at all and we're just drawing all these cool comparisons to like other things that they've done like before or after or like you know stuff that sounds like other things and it's it's just really it's really cool to to be doing this and like to hear nate's point of view and us bounce stuff back and forth what do you think nate yeah we we, we you know we grew up together listening to this music and really 
John exposed me to a, a a good foundation of a lot of this. Like he's probably responsible for getting me into a lot of this. And then we, you know, we branched out on our own and had our own kind of interests. And I think you, through listening to it together, we've created this sort of lore and, you know, inside jokes sort of things that we have about the different musicians and their personalities and, and things. And, and I hope that everyone understands it comes from a place of, of, of love. And I, if they, I think if you can't laugh at the stuff that you love, um, you know, it's, it's a shame because uh, you, you know, even though we, we poke fun at pretty much all of these, <laughs> whether it's Coverdale or Gillen or, or whoever, we're always poking fun at these people. And, and now I am, I'm in a weird place where we, where I have to deal with it on a on a personal level so we've got mo foster here who we on one of our very early episodes um brought up the fact you know he was just listed in the credits as doing the finger pops on on old blind mole and we just had this running joke about like like how the heck did they pick him out of anybody like oh mo foster and and john said oh somebody probably took a look at his fingers and said hey let me take a look at those sausage links <laughs> oh yeah we got to get you in the studio to do these snaps <laughs> right and so so here we are calling him sausage fingers for the past like however many months and um i get an email from mo foster <laughs> saying you know hey i've been called many things in my life but never sausage fingers and i'm just like <laughs> reality just hits you right in the face and you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe Mo Foster heard us just goofing around like that. And, you know, you kind of think, and he was very good natured about it and having, um, it was very happy that he wasn't offended by that. And I, I, I'm glad and I hope everyone realizes that even if we are joking around about, you know, Richie and his pilgrim hat and beating up cameraman or whatever he's doing, that it comes from uh, us being fans of all of these people. Oh, I think so. Because you, yeah. you do it in such a lighthearted way. I mean, if you were doing it with any kind of aggression at all, uh, I I could see it be it would be taken that way. But how many how many podcasts does Mo Foster get mentioned on? <laughs> you know, one. that's probably one. <laughs> well, two now, but uh, that had to yeah, be pretty cool for it because every every little bit that goes into a piece of music is just as important as every other bit. And that finger snapping actually really brought out that song that made it have a, a feel to it like no other song on that album. Oh, sure. And nobody could have done it like Mo with those those fingers, you know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, just wait till you get uh, David Coverdale on the show after the... <laughs> that, that would be a dream boy. come true. I, that's awesome, oh, though, boy. that he responded to you guys. That's uh, You're getting attention from the band. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's that's It's great. And, and I'm... He is an absolutely incredible bass player and uh, always we both always really loved his work on uh particularly on um butterfly ball and on wizards convention so we're really uh excited i'm really hoping to get him on for an interview oh that would be fantastic yeah uh it's it's tough because you know the the ones that are still active are incredibly active like white snake purple they tour extensively so to try and find any time to pin them down i mean we've been trying for weeks just to schedule this and we're not going anywhere <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i'm not tour i'm not uh, playing shows in rio de janeiro and <laughs> yeah. or any of that but. exactly but now what's interesting though is that you guys until recently really hadn't had the chance to see the band live and now you have, do you look at the music any differently now that you've seen how passionate they are when they're on stage? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, um, um, I mean, it, it was, I don't even know, like 
where to where to start because I didn't know what to expect. I mean, this was like their farewell tour, and they're all a lot older. So I was wondering, okay, I wonder what the quality of the show is going to be like. I mean, I knew it was going to be good because it was getting great reviews, but when I saw the the set list, I'm just like, how is like Gillen going to sing some of these? Because he's in his seventies and these are parts that he sang when he was in his twenties. And it was, it was pretty amazing. They were like, they were really good because they, they kind of adapted the music to um, where they're at now, but it didn't lose any of the, of the uh, power that it had. Like they did really great versions of it now. Um, and it was, it was just great, you know, I'm bopping my head along to it and I'm like, you know, rocking out being like, oh man, they're, they're playing Bloodsucker. This is awesome. You know? Right. And I wasn't thinking like, oh man, Gillen is croaking this out. He sounds terrible. Like, yeah, he didn't like hit the high notes like he used to, but I mean, he, he knows how to work around it. And, uh, you know, just like, uh, I saw White Snake several months ago and Coverdale's voice isn't the way it used to be, but he works within the the range that he has now uh, as he's gotten older, and it doesn't sound like they're trying to strain or fake anybody out. They're just they're just doing doing it the best they can now, and that's what makes it good. I think. I think so, and I think the fact that that even Purple has acknowledged, like we'll do this until we either can't do it or until we think what we're delivering is a subpar uh, product. And yeah. obviously they, they feel that they're still in good enough form. And when I saw them here in September uh, at the House of Blues, I was I was blown. It was probably the best I've ever seen them. And I've been watching them perform since Perfect Strangers. So wow. to, to see them now in, in their 70s, just as blisteringly talented and, and performing at top notch on stage, it just warmed my heart to, to think that, you know, you can still do that, that there's really no age to music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it would, it would have been great to have like, I mean, if I could get in a time machine and go back and see them in like, you know, their, their early 70s, mm -hmm. that would be great. But, um, you know, it was still cool to say that I saw Ian Gillen doing the, the kooky old uncle dance, you know, uh, instead of uh, <laughs> hit, hitting, hitting, the, hitting the bongos. Um, you know, that was just as much fun because it's like, look at him at the show that I went to. I think I told you this story, Nate, was that I um, can't remember what song it was, but they they started the intro to it. And he came, he came out from backstage and then he kind of looked around and he put his finger up and then he was like, wait a minute. And then he walked back and then he came out and he held his microphone up like, whoops, forgot this. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, it was, it was hysterical. It was just, it was, it was great. It wasn't, you know what I mean? It didn't look like he forgot his microphone, but he's just like, oh, well, like he didn't, he didn't care. You know, yeah. he was just having a good time and it was a good time. You know, that's not how you would think like they would do that back then, but like, that's the whole point. It's not back then it's now. And so, you know, I'm just enjoying it now. Well, and there was, there's a clip somewhere on YouTube of one of the first shows they did after the newest album infinite came out and uh, they were, they were doing the title track or the opening track of the album. And Ian forgot the words and Roger just looked at him and Ian said into the mic, he goes, I know. <laughs> 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 like the thing is is they, they've got nothing to prove at this point they don't have to go out there and they're not being judged in a way that they're going to care about they're going to entertain the people that are going to be entertained and anyone else can walk away and they've earned that and so I think for them to just be able to relax and just enjoy what they do and not have to be pretentious or rigid about it I think is is fantastic yeah, and they're just having so much fun on stage and you can it comes through in the music. They're very laid back. 
They're 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 playing what they want to play. You see them. You see Roger walking over and whispering something to Ian, and Ian laughing, or Steve Ian saying something to Steve Morris, and they're laughing, and they're not they're not worried. They're yeah. they're just out there having a really good time, and you know I. Given our age, we 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 could have seen that we could have seen the original Mark II lineup. We could have seen them. Uh, we could have you know even potentially seen them with Joe Lynn Turner, the age that we are. We could have seen them, you, you know, with John Lord still. We, we with Richie Blackmore still. We had all these opportunities to see them, and I don't know about John's thoughts, but my thought was always like, ah, there'll be another time. But you know, yeah. then uh, Blackmore leaves the band. Oh well, I could still catch him, and then Lord leaves the band, and then Lord passes away, and these things keep happening. And this time, I was just like, well, God. Damn, they're they're in their seven, they're in their mid seventies. Like I, I have to make an actual effort to go see one of my favorite bands ever. Like, and I've I've kind of done them a disservice by never even making enough of an effort to go see them. Yeah, and and they're definitely a band that uh, you know in the studio they're great. There's a lot of bands that uh, are either studio bands or live bands, and they're one of the few, I think, that just brings it on both sides. And if you haven't seen them live, yeah, you're doing yourself a disservice missing that, missing out on that if you're a fan. Absolutely. It, yeah, and it, it, it's so – the show was so well-crafted, too. There was never any – lull there was never any like oh downtime they 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 packed it with great songs they they put in the video show that they had set up was it just kept everything moving i mean i feel like i blinked and the show was over they they just kept it from from the second it started till the second it ended it was pure entertainment the other part of the show too was is that um we were talking about how they don't they don't have anything to prove they're not like they've already made it so another thing is is that that i was really impressed by the set list because when Nate asked me how it was i saw it what a week or two before he did and i was like it's basically they played almost all of machine head like <laughs> nobody does that i mean i i went to see kiss twice this year and like they don't do the deep cuts i mean they're infamous for not doing deep cuts and i mean deep purple's like whatever they're doing like i never thought i'd hear like 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 bloodsucker for instance i mean that's not a hit right yeah <laughs> i mean you know i mean and that was awesome that was awesome to hear that well they have to keep it fresh for themselves too and they know that there's a lot of people that come out and want to see obviously they have to play the hits but they want to see other stuff too uh there's a clip of a, a portion of them doing i'm alone which I was blown away by. I wouldn't think that they'd even remember that song, let alone put it together to play it in front of people. Wow. But I had the pleasure uh, the last time I was in the front row and uh, I was over on Roger's side of the stage at that, that very edge. And there were a couple of cute girls that were in front of me. So he kept throwing picks over to them. Uh, I think they got one out of all of the ones that he threw, which I kind of felt bad about, but, uh, but it was, it was just, you know, watching them perform because they're so experienced and so comfortable with their instruments. Uh, it's just amazing to see how relaxed they look while they're pumping out intense music. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of really intricate stuff and, uh, I was really impressed with, Morse is playing and I know he's he can be a little um, divisive amongst the, the fans that the people kind of either love him or or hate him. And, you know, I think his style is in keeping with the the three deep purple guitarists that there have been is style is very uh, it's it's completely unique. 
and and it, it's he's not like this typical shredder. He's not up there doing sweep arpeggios and finger tapping. He does. He has a very unique style, and he it's it it's created this new sound for them that's that works really really well. And I I said it on this show as well. I think honestly, I think Don Airy was the standout for me. The guy is just incredible, and I'd always known about him through Rainbow and and mostly through Ozzy uh, growing up, and never really thought much about him because those were different sorts of bands, but hearing what he does in deep purple and diving back in his earlier stuff was the Coliseum and all that. Like, wow, what a, what a player he is. Incredible. Well, there's, there's something I noticed with Don this time, because I've seen him a few times now and uh, something I noticed this time that I hadn't really before. It's like a lot of, when you watch him play, it's almost like he's pushing his fingers together and just chopping at the keys like a child. <laughs> but what you're hearing come out of it is just the most amazing stuff. You know, it's like the visual oh, yeah. does not match the audio at all. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly with Morris, he has a such that strange right-handed um, picking uh, technique. It just looks, it looks awkward, but it, it doesn't sound awkward. He, he makes, he makes it work for him, but yeah, it's, it, it's just such great players. Just so, so impressed with the, the whole show. Well, you know, I've always said uh, throughout the years that I, I've never found anybody that feels music the way that Richie Blackmore does. I mean, the the way that he puts the feeling into his, uh, you know, back lines, his solos, there's so much depth to it. And I would have never thought that I would like another guitarist as much. But I have to say, uh, at least in my opinion, Steve's given him a great run for his money. The The especially with uh, when you guys get to the newest album and you hear like Birds of Prey, uh, there's such emotion in the guitar in that, that I, he's another one I have to say is really just in a class on his own. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it really depends on what your, um, what style you're looking for because you can't compare Richie, Tommy Boland, uh, Steve Morse because they're all, they're all great, but they're all really different. So it's like Richie brought that really kind of like uh yeah like he started the whole neoclassical like metal guitar movement and you know Tommy Bolin was just really I don't even know what to call him I mean he was just like this really kind of um he he did everything I mean this really jazzy like you know hard rocking player and then you have Steve Morris who like you know Nate just put him on a class of his own where he's like really um he's he's really good but he's not like your, your typical shredder but he's really technical and really good and they they all fit in deep purple in their own way so it's like you know you can't yeah, i think it would be like you know comparing uh, just just all of them is like not even fair like you can't just go like oh well you know he's he's better than richie it's like i i think they're all excellent you know oh yeah yeah and i and i mean that more from just an enjoyment perspective like eric clapton i think is a great guitarist but when i listen to his writing it doesn't inspire me whereas like richie and steve and and tommy too i wish i would have gotten to hear more of tommy i wish they would have done one more album but uh, oh, yeah. But but yes. like listening to those guys really inspires me as a musician and as just a, a fan of music, whereas I can't say that with a lot of other guitarists. And it's interesting that they all three mm. ended up in the same band. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think even more importantly than the, the styles of, of how they play and everything and people get caught up on and every interview with Ian Gillen people are hounding him like would you ever consider playing with Richie again yeah. like let it go it's it's not going to happen and it's not going to be good for anybody and and it's 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 so apparent we were talking um a few weeks ago on one of our episodes about that uh, hell or high water where 
Richie doesn't come out for the beginning of Highway Star, mm-hmm. and he's, he's <laughs> upset about the cameraman. Then he does come out and he throws water on Ian Gillen's wife and all this crazy stuff. You know, like I love Richie and everything, but it wasn't good for Richie. It wasn't good for the band. And you can see just the, by the looks on their face on that video, which was, I think, 93. Yeah. Yeah. Versus uh, the looks on their face playing even the same year with Joe Satriani. As soon as he took stage, the looks on the faces were all already like, oh, my God, thank God. And then when Satriani left and, and Steve Morse came in, you and still now 25 years later, there's just having a good time. It's there's not this you could feel this awkward tension and just be like, I can't only imagine what it felt like for the fans and for them on stage. It must have been awful. Oh, yeah. And and to think now that they're allowed to go to uh, stage left, whereas they weren't even allowed yeah. to be in that part of the stage before, you know. Yeah, I was like half of the stage for Richie, the other half for everybody else. But, and maybe it's and it's not just Deep Purple because I saw uh, the Michael Schenker Fest where he had all his singers back. He had Graham Bonnet and and, and everyone back, mm-hmm. and uh, Doogie White was also there. And uh, oh, you wow. know, and then I saw the uh, uh, ELP Legacy band with uh, Carl Palmer and, and a couple of other guys. Since you know the other two have passed on, but. Uh, both of those bands, like watching them perform live, they just they love being up there. And there's there's a big difference between watching their videos when they were like serious about performing. And now they're just as good, but they're having fun with it. Mm, yeah. And uh, same with the Grand Bonnet Band. I saw them here uh, last year. They were playing. And uh, in fact, I, I listened to a podcast with uh, their bass player, Bethany Heavenstone. And uh, she was talking about having to play some of the songs from uh, Rainbow's Down to Earth album. And she said she never realized how great of a bass player Roger really is. And I think that he really doesn't get that much credit as a bass player because he's so well known as a songwriter. And uh, his production. We 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 just recorded uh, our episode this morning on David Coverdale's first solo album, White Snake. And uh, White Snake, as we kept yes. saying. Um, <laughs> Two separate words. I, th- I mean, we must have spent half the episode talking about Glover's production and how incredible it is. Yeah, and I actually didn't know that he had anything to do with White Snake at all until he told me. Mm. Uh, when I, I, I had a meet and greet pass years ago on the Abandoned Tour. So that'll kind of give you oh, some wow. perspective. It was uh, ninety eight or so. Yeah, it was Dream Theater, Emerson Lake and Palmer, and Deep Purple. I mean, fantastic show! Wow. And uh, wow. I sat next to Steve's cousins at the show, and uh, I didn't want to bother him at the meet and greet because he was with family, and so he saw me and he waved to me. They must have mentioned me or something, and I waved back and regretted not talking to him ever since. So I've made it my mission this year to meet up with him at the Nam show. Because uh, I, I made oh, that mission for Keith Emerson too, and uh, and I like every time I went to to go see him, he wasn't there, and now he's gone. So I I'm on a mission to connect with Steve this year, but uh, yeah, Roger was telling me about how he was involved with uh, putting White Snake together, and I thought you know, it it dawned on me a little bit then, but more so later, that Roger Glover has probably been the most influential person in my life simply because of all of the things that he's been involved with. And without him inviting Ian to Butterfly Ball, would Ian have come back to music? What would it have been like if he did? Like, that was the moment where he said, you know, what am I doing? 
Yeah, and th- then that sparked him to form Ian Gillen band and put him in touch with Ray Fenwick. And right, wow. I mean, yeah. He, I mean, I can't. I can't argue with you there. You definitely um, would. When it comes to Roger Glover, um, you know, you, we might have to fight to see who's the bigger fan. But <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I would take that um, on. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> he, it, but he really has just been involved in so many things on the production side, then as a musician and as a writer and just, you know, giving advice to people. And, and then there's all the stuff that like listening to his playing on the last couple of uh, most recent Deep Purple albums, it, it, he's he comes up with stuff that no one else would come up with. Mm-hmm. Very innovative. Yeah, and he does this. There's a video on YouTube of him doing this master class to bass players, which is funny because you're he's looking out at this uh, classroom or almost or uh, small lecture hall of all these bass players who are probably all trying to be the next Victor Wooten. And it's funny to think of Roger Glover addressing them because, and he's even kind of saying, making comments too, like, I don't know why you guys called me here, um, <laughs> but, but he's, it's, it's more about, it, it's, it's not just about being flashy and doing, you know, the fastest slaps and pops that you possibly can. He, he's, um, he's legendary and it, it there's so much more there's so much more as far as his songwriting his production and it it it, it with him he he's got this level of humility and he doesn't have the flash of like a billy sheehan or someone like that he's he he doesn't he's not looking out there to be in the limelight or be this superstar he's kind of silently in the background writing producing playing and just trying to make to be a a support and make everything a little bit better the ultimate bass player really yeah i would agree and i think it's just that his playing is just it's just the way he writes i don't think he's trying to be anything i think he's just this is just what i came up with and and i'm i'm yep. skilled enough to pull it off you know brilliantly but john you play some bass what do you think yeah i mean there are um I mean, I'm not as, um, I'm not as good of, I'm not as good a bass player, but I can definitely like appreciate a good, uh, bass line and a, and a good bass player and everything. And I think that it's, um, you know, there, there are a lot of like, you need people like that. Like there's something to be said for like a great songwriter. Um, and, um, you know, I don't think that people appreciate that enough because like, um, uh, a lot of people are just like, oh, they they love the the musicians and the personalities and uh, the people out front. But, uh, you know, it's just like I think the average music fan, they don't really appreciate the the producer or like the songwriter of like a great song or somebody that, you know, brings you that, you know, that whole package. And I think that, uh, you know, Roger Glover is definitely and um an unsung hero not with us but right, <laughs> with yeah. most other people <laughs> yeah but yeah he's definitely like he's definitely unique and i always thought that um you know the the best players don't have to be you know necessarily the most skilled i mean Nate and i talk about it a lot i mean just like turn on youtube and just look at like any one of like a million of like these people that are like like half our age or a third of our age and they're just like (laughs) playing circles around us like what we can do now and it's like and you know it's it's just it's amazing there's just so much you know talent out there it's 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 impressive it's very impressive to watch and i i subscribe to a lot of those channels and love watching their videos but am i listening to them on my drive into work right yeah <laughs> well i think there's another component too is that like when i, I remember watching some of terry bazio's uh, drum videos and thinking wow this is some really impressive stuff but what can you do with it musically where would that fit into mm-hmm. a song or 
you know, any kind of a piece of music for a film or something like I just I didn't see a lot of application for it is as impressive as it is to watch. It's like drum solo only type material. And I think from some mm-hmm. of the guitarists that I've looked at, I kind of feel the same way. Like it's it's really good for soloing and, and looking impressive. But like you said, like I wouldn't put that on and listen to it on the way to work or the store. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a few of those of that style guitarist that I really like. Like I'm a huge, probably my favorite guitarist right now or maybe of all time is Guthrie Govan. Have you ever listened to his stuff? I've not. Oh, he's just he has all of the technical chops to blow your mind watching him play like but also from a, a being able to play to a song he is just absolutely unbelievable and I I could send you a few links to a few of his, my favorite uh songs by him. Yeah. He does all like in, instrumental stuff. He, he doesn't he doesn't really but he's in this band called the Aristocrats which is basically uh, one of the best guitarists, bassists, and drummers that you maybe never heard of ever <laughs> all together playing. And that sounds like that might become, again, is that it, it's not like for everybody to listen to that, but it works so well. And some of his, some of his solos, and he has a ton of videos on YouTube of him just teaching and being like, here's how, you know, practice how to practice your bends and how to bend effectively and all of this really simple stuff. Um, that, that just he's got this musicality about him. He's all it's, it's almost like he's got like the feel of like a Dave Gilmore, but like the technicality of the absolute best shredder you've ever heard. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. 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 I can't say enough good things about him. He's he's just absolutely amazing. And he's like, I don't know. I think he's the same age as me and which is just like infuriating (laughs) right well it's worse when it's like a little kid right like like some seven-year-old kid goes out and warms up to this amazing like mozart piano sonata and she's like okay i'm ready to play now and (laughs) yeah there's enough of those on youtube to make you feel bad (laughs) yes exactly well before i tell you guys my uh roger glover story uh i want to ask john now i know that you're a big fan of kiss and uh I, I've not really connected with them. Uh, there's a few songs I, I've liked here and there, but I've just not, for some reason, uh, really connected with them. I will say that Gene Simmons is probably one of the most intelligent people out there. I, I love mm-hmm. listening to him being interviewed when he's not on the arrogant side of things, when he's just speaking about something. Uh, he used to go yeah. on, uh, was it Real Time with Bill Maher? Maybe it was Politically Incorrect. And I was blown away. Oh, the old politically incorrect yeah. you showed, I think. Blown yeah. away by how intelligent he really is. And the more I started listening mm-hmm. to it, you can really hear it in the music. And I started to gain respect uh, for them as musicians and songwriters from that. And uh, now we have a whole Kiss miniature golf course out here. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't gone there yet. I, I keep going to the Twilight Zone one because that's, uh, that's, that's uh, just a really bizarre, trippy thing to do. But uh, but yeah, what was uh, how did you connect with Kiss? Um, I mean, I was always into um, I was just always into music. So um, it's and it's a kind of the same way that I discovered Deep Purple, I think, was just like, uh, you know, through um, just reading magazines and like looking in the, the, the tape and the CD stores and everything. And just when the, the newer bands at the time were listing their influences or they were po- posting about like the quote, older bands, like, you know, Kiss intrigued me because I was really started off being into like glam 
um, like um, like Poison and Motley Crue and that kind of stuff. And so Kiss looked like the the ultimate glam. Like they were just like way over the top. So I went and started buying their stuff. And it's like, um, I, I don't know if there's really a middle ground. You either like, you know, become obsessed with them or not. And I became obsessed with them just like many others. And, you know, to this day, it's, uh, I mean, it was the the music, the image, the 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 lore behind them, like all the stories, the rumors, like the. I mean, they have like every band that everybody loves has a fascinating story, and you know, so does Kisses, you know. And I could recite it to you, like, you know, from start to finish right now. But if I if I wanted to, just because I've read it or heard about it so many times, so um, but. But yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's something about, it's something, you know, and they're not the most like, I mean, you put them next to, say, Deep Purple, and it's like, yeah, any of the guys in Deep Purple are going to blow them away in terms of like, yeah, musicianship, but that's not really the point, you know, it, it you know, they always like kind of hit me like, you know, in the, in the gut, you know, they just like, I thought they wrote great songs, and like, I thought that, um, you know, Ace was my favorite guitar player, you know, not because he was he was no Richie Blackmore, but that, that wasn't the point. It's just like what he played was like amazing to me. Yeah. I think one of the, the things is that where deep purple may have the, the bigger range in styles and influence kiss did one thing and they did it very well. Yeah. And they went through a lot of struggles too. I mean, people, you know, I, I, I don't know if people really realize the depth of everything that band went through to keep going. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they really, you know, a lot of people they're they're criticized for like kind of following trends throughout the years because after they took the makeup off, it's like, well, then they tried to become really glam and then really pop. And then they tried to become grunge and then they put the makeup back on and reverted back to that. But I mean, it's just like, if you, if you look at what they did, I mean, they were always kind of like, they, they started by like following trends, I think, um, you know, by doing the glam thing and then kind of going over the top with it. And that was where they really innovated. But then, they uh, just like many other bands, you know, to, to stay relevant, they really kind of like, you know, got on board with the the trends of the time or the music of the time, which, you know, they were in. And, you know, they really kept it interesting because I think if they kept releasing like the first, you know, the classic first six albums over and over again, it would have been boring. So without those left turns, like the um, you know, doing like a kind of power pop album, concept album, getting heavy, getting really kind of 80s, getting kind of pop again, you know, it wouldn't have been interesting. And now we have so much good and interesting stuff to listen to. And that's what I really love about them now. I would agree with that. I remember when they had, I think it was at a Halloween special that they did or. I, or yeah, the Paul Land yeah. in 76. Yeah, I yeah. remember when that that came out because that was the year that. Uh, the lunch boxes and all the the dolls and stuff started. To, mm-hmm. I mean, they were genius marketers. Yeah, you know, and and that was the first year I think people started dressing up as them for Halloween at school. So yeah, that was yeah. that was a fun time for sure. But yeah, I mean, they they they're definitely a solid band, and it's really impressive to see everything that they've accomplished. I'm going to have to give them another chance at some point because I know I'm missing out on something. So I really appreciate you elaborating on that. Yeah, thank you. It's um, I mean, I've discovered more stuff about them like in the recent years too like there was like 80s albums like especially the 80s stuff like who can stand it because nate and i were having a conversation like earlier and maybe even like last week about that 80s production and like you know he he can't stand it like i can 
Um, I, there's a lot of it that I don't like either, but I can like look past it. Like there were some kiss albums from the eighties that I was just like, not like back burner. Like I'm, I'm not into them, but like now I can like, if I'm in the mood for that kind of vibe, like I really love like, um, like eighties music or like, you know, eighties, um, like pop and new wave and stuff if I'm in the mood for it. And, um, and, uh, you know, if, if I'm in the mood to hear that kind of production or that kind of kiss, then I'll put that on. And then um, in my playlist, if something from like the seventies comes up, I'll be like, nope, because it doesn't fit with it. And I'll just skip right <laughs> by it and, you know, go right to get my eighties fix. And I have a lot more deeper appreciation for those albums because, um, you know, and a lot of the stuff too, they've played or other musicians involved with them have played like, um, on the, the kiss cruises, or they've gotten kind of all-star bands together and kind of re revamped, you know, some of these songs. And when you hear them live and you hear like the actual songs and you hear them being played and not just hear them on the, the old albums from like 30 something odd years ago, you're like, wow, this stuff is really good. So, and I mean, it is. Well, I think one of the things that we've really lost is that personality to the uh, to the, either the trend of the of the day, like you said, that eighty sound, or the individual albums themselves. I mean, if you look at In Rock versus the Sound of Fireball versus the Sound of Machine Head, every one of those albums mm. has a personality. And if you knew the album decently well enough, and you heard a, a a track maybe that had been left off, you'd know which album it came from because of the way it sounds. Whereas nowadays, yeah. everything just sounds too perfect and too pristine. It, it We seem to have lost that personality a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. As far as Kiss goes, too, um, we, we, you know, growing up, we were pretty much just like John. John liked Kiss and I liked the Beatles and there was no there were no we wouldn't neither of us would bend an inch in either direction it's like ah kiss sucks ah the beatles suck and we that was just kind of you know because we were you know 14 and dumb and that's you know just uh you had to everything had to be an absolute right yeah. and I, ne- I i never really thought i would appreciate kiss but th- this past year of doing this podcast and thinking about music in a different way in a more critical way um it, funny, looking at music in a more critical way, I think, has made me more open minded to things. I just was so quick to write off and just say, no, nope, that stuff's no good. And part of we st- we both started listening this year to this podcast called Pot of Thunder. I don't know if you've listened to it. Not yet. Um, it's if if you're going to listen to one podcast, don't listen to us. Listen to Pot of Thunder. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, <laughs> I mean, they only have one episode on a Deep Purple song, but um, but they're they started off just doing every single kiss song an episode on every single kiss song. And they got through almost 300 episodes, wow. finished the kiss catalog after yep. all that time and then decided, well, we're going to start doing random songs. And they just kind of pick random songs. And that's how we found them. Cause they did an episode about getting tighter. Oh, okay. And that was the f- first episode I heard. And I was like, wow, these guys are great. They're funny. Um, and of course they had 300 plus episodes under their belt to really, figure out this formula. And so I listened to all of their episodes and then went back and said, you know, I enjoy listening to these guys so much. I'm going to listen to what they say about kiss and all these songs that I don't even know. And it's given me a new appreciation for, and if you like the way that we poke fun at deep purple, they are way more brutal with kiss than we are at deep purple. They're hilarious and they will completely ev- eviscerate a, a, a kiss song or, or just completely just rag on Gene or whatever it is. 
but it comes from this place of love. Obviously, they're not doing a Kiss podcast because they hate Kiss. Right, yeah. They're doing it because uh, you know it's it's something that they love. So uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, yeah. uh, and it it. it it changed my mind about Kiss, and it's funny because there's a, there's a lot of dogs in that catalog that they pull up, and those are some of the more fun episodes to listen to. And I sometimes I'll text John, I'm like, "What's up with this song?" And he'll be like, "Oh, I don't want to talk about it." <laughs> um, but but you also realize there's a lot of really great songs, and when when you hear this group of three people tearing apart a song, stopping it every five seconds, talking about these guitar solos, it gives you this appreciation for the music, and you've you and I kind of trying to apply that to all the music that I listen to, not just whether it be Deep Purple or Kiss, but even things I don't like, just saying, oh, there's there's these redeeming qualities about all music, and I like looking at it from a different perspective now. Well, you know, I'm a drummer, and when I started playing bass, it was the same thing for me. I started seeing music through a different set of eyes, and so I could kind of start uh, learning to pay attention to different sounds that I was kind of ignoring before. And I think it's the same thing with something like this, and like the way that you guys are showing me different ways to look at songs that I've been listening to for 30 years, going, yeah, you know, that was kind of silly. Or, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's really good to find new ways to have perspective of things that you've been comfortable with because you can learn so much. And a friend of mine told me, if you really want to learn music, take a piece of music and listen to the song and then pick an instrument and only listen to that instrument, follow it all the way through the song over and over until you know everything it does, then pick the next instrument mm -hmm. and do it till you've went, went through every sound in that song. And you will really learn everything that there is to learn about that song, how it was put together, how it works, you know, what didn't work, that sort of thing. And I even started doing that with some of my own music. And it's really amazing what you can even find out about your own writing when you, when you start picking it apart that way. Yeah, that's that's so true. And we um, we've talked about this before, but there's all these videos on YouTube that will isolate tracks. And one of them that springs to mind just because it's it's to me such a stark contrast is the uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic album. There's all these different permutations of the entire album It's like, here's just the bass and guitar. Here's just the drums and the bass. Here's just the drums and the guitar. Here's just the vocals and the guitar. I don't know why that album or why people picked that out to, to do that to or where they got the tracks from, but that's an album I'm very familiar with. So listening to it in that form, you're like, Oh my God, I never, I've never looked at the song before listening to it with just these two instruments. And it's, it's eye opening. Oh, absolutely. You get to hear all the nuances that get buried in the mix. You know, another fun one is uh grace licks vocals on white rabbit. Oh, hello. Is he still there? Nope. I don't know. Some... Oh, you can hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, we should just go into our next episode then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> He's still it's still showing him as being here, but for some reason can't hear him. Oh, okay. Thank God. What the oh, hell? Yeah, I can go. hear you now. It cut out a cut out a couple of times throughout, but just for like a few seconds and it came right back. So I just Oh, very strange. All right. Well let's uh let's wrap up here. Uh, before anything else happens. <laughs> so uh before we go, uh I was gonna tell you guys my uh, my Roger Glover story. Yeah. So when I when I met him uh, F, on the Total Abandon tour, uh, we were talking about. Uh, I think I was talking about how much I enjoyed 
the way that uh, the dynamics in the band had changed. I mean, they stopped doing everything in 4-4. They were doing some odd time signature stuff. Uh, Ian Pace was playing some really different rhythms that than he had been previously. It's kind of like he just sparked a new life and new angles into their music. And I said, I especially appreciated the new life in some of the older songs like Highway Star and Smoke on the Water and that. And he said, uh, oh, thanks. I really appreciate that. That's That's really good to hear. And I said, but you know, if there was one song I could ask you guys to ever play, it would be Fools. And he looked at me mm-hmm. and he smiled and he went, Fools. And I said, yeah, from Fireball. And he went, right. How does it go? <laughs> so I, I sang him the first couple lines of the song and then he recognized it and he shook his head. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that is a good song. Yeah, that's that's yeah, we should look at that. <laughs> and I figured, you know, they never listen to what their fans want. And I didn't really think much more about it. And uh, we hung out for probably, I want to say, a good half an hour. And uh, at the end of it, he says, you know, I really hate to go, but I've got to catch a plane. Um, but but you've been so cool to talk to. I've got to give you something. And he's fumbling around his pockets and he comes out with this yellow bass pick, which I still have. And uh, oh, wow. so, you know, we, we shake hands and then hug and we say goodbye and everything. And uh, he said he appreciated how much he enjoyed our conversation, which just meant, you know, the world to me. Um, sure. And uh, so a few months later... The uh, the DVDs from the Abandoned Tour start coming out, and there was uh, Total Abandoned, and I think the other one was Perihelion. And what is on that DVD? Fools. <laughs> Get out of here. Now, wow. I, I have always maintained that I don't want to take credit that I influenced anything that that band ever did. But <laughs> it's hard not to think that I might have had some kind of, you know, maybe been the spark for them to go, hey, let's check this song out. Maybe this is something that would work good on stage again or something. I mean, I think it's clear from that story that you did. I mean, that's <laughs> incredible. But how cool is that to influence the not only the band, but the guy that's been like your biggest influence in your career and to, to be able to give something back to him? And then they reinstill the song and they played it quite a bit on stage. So they must have enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, well, I think it's very easy to forget about those things that are way, way in the past. And if you hear, if if you hearing that your fans really like some kind of obscure thing that you've forgotten about, it's got to got to spark something in you. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your crazy schedule, John. I know it's getting late out there where you are in uh, in Rhode Island, where we have finally mm-hmm. learned the state bird. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's more coming there's more coming yeah you, you can't and the the only uh you know the only bit that i really know about rhode island is just what i've learned from watching ghost hunters so it's nice to get uh, a little more knowledge about your state oh well we, we we got some we got some big surprises coming up and uh spoiler alert nate nate challenges me on some Ooh, of them, so he's <laughs> it's rough all right well now this episode yeah. will be airing on thanksgiving uh, so your last oh, butterfly ball episode will have already come out by then. So uh, let's uh, let's do some uh, quick Thanksgiving thoughts before we wrap up. Uh, what are you guys individually doing for yours? Let's start with you, Nate. Well, um, we actually my family is Canadian, so we host a big Canadian Thanksgiving celebration in the beginning of October. So generally for uh, American Thanksgiving, we go to my in-laws house and they do all the cooking. So it's pretty relaxed for me. Nice. How about you, John? Um, I have a, a pretty big, my whole family's from Rhode Island and we're all pretty much still here. So uh, my family kind of takes turns uh, hosting. So this year, one of my uh, cousins, 
um, who now has two young daughters, uh, him and his wife, um, offered to host um, for two years in a row. So my parents, aunts, uncles, everything are going down to uh, do it uh, there this year. Same cast of characters. We just kind of rotate. So that's what we're doing. Very cool. I will yeah. be home working on a new piece of music. <laughs> but I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm sure that there will yeah. be some sort of turkey or stuffing or something somewhere near me. But uh, it'll be fun. And uh, thank you guys so much again for, for coming on the show. I love the podcast. I love that you're doing it. I'm so glad that somebody finally did it. I actually thought about doing a Deep Purple podcast. But I was so torn between the fact that I knew that every YouTube episode would probably get kicked out. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if it was just oh going to be me, then there wouldn't be much fun in that. You know, it's just me reviewing <laughs> someone else's work. So, but uh, you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Uh, I look forward to it. It's the best part of my Monday. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. You Appreciate it. Have that. a great holiday, guys. We'll talk soon. All right. You thanks. too. Okay, you too. Thanks. What a great time I had talking to these two. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Everybody go check out the Deep Purple podcast. You can find it in all the places. I listen to it on my Podbean app uh, because they host my site. (laughs) And so I try to listen to the majority of things that I can on there. And I'm almost up to like their top level of podcast listening. So that's kind of cool. I'm sure you get absolutely nothing for doing that. But thank you guys for coming on the show. Everybody, please take a moment. Check out the Deep Purple podcast. Check out the Levity Show and check out those links on my website. And thank you guys so much for joining me. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm grateful to all of you that listen, share, like, put comments in, email me, uh, and and mostly share and rate uh, the podcast because that helps me get the information out to other. There's also that donate button on my podcast page on my website. So check that out if you want to help me buy some new equipment to make the show even better. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Cheers. Cheers.